This episode of the Photographer Mindset Podcast is sponsored by Encore Golf. An American company, Encore Golf is committed to providing customers with the best golf balls in the game, period. With patented technology, Encore Golf has become the first company to create perimeter-weighted balls, leading to straighter and more accurate shots, outperforming other top-tier tour balls. There's a perfect kind of Encore Golf ball for any player of any skill set. The signature Vero X1 and new Vero X2 are cherished and trusted by several past and present tour players, such as Gary Player and Eric Compton. Aside from improving your score on the course, Encore Golf supports several local charities, including the John R. O'Shai Children's Hospital in Buffalo, New York. They're focused on contributing to veterans programs and initiating golf tours that emphasize inclusivity and diversity. Aaron and I love supporting companies on a mission to provide maximum value to customers, but that also remember the importance of giving back to the community when they can. Click the link in the episode description to visit their website where you can check out and purchase top performing golf balls and other accessories like gloves, club heads, bags, and apparel. Sign up for Club Encore and receive special pricing, free shipping, customization, and more. You're the second person to be on the show for a third time. How does it feel? It feels like an honor. I'm, <laughs> I feel it's like I feel one. I achieved something. Um, You've achieved something. You know, there's Olympus sponsorship or OM Systems. Sorry. Thank you. You know, there's those sponsorships. There's, you know, bear guiding, lots of personal achievements, but this is the pinnacle, right? This, this goes to the top of resume. This is it. This feels really good. And retire now. We I'm going to retire now. Yeah, yeah. We figured yeah. out that this is the first time out of the three that you've been on the show with both myself and Aaron. So I'm sorry that you have to deal with him today, but you can put up with it for one time because I have to do it every week. I'm That's just true. glad I put a hat on. That's really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> That's helping the case. I wanted to match your hat, your gray hat. And yeah, my you guys are hat. twinsies. Now we're twinsies. We look great. How's... Uh, uh, yeah. I was excited. I was very excited to be part of this, finally. Yeah. 33% of the time. Yeah. You know, you're working your way up. Averaging up. How does it feel to be back in civilization? We'll get into your Alaska excursions and fun because, you know, everybody knows what's going Was Everybody sort of was following what's going on with you up there. And it just looks like a bundle of fun. But what's it like being back? Uh, should, dare I say the real world? Because I, I think where you were is more the real world I kind of would like to be in. But what's it like being back more civilized in a civilized state? It's it's weird. This is, it's weird. (laughs) So to anyone listening who hasn't followed along on on where I've been and what I've been up to. So it's been over a year since I've been in the the civilized realm. Um, Start of last summer, like I said, I was in Montana and Wyoming for a bit in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem then I went to Alaska for about a month and a half, almost two months. It was two months. Then I came back to the lower 48 and immediately went up to uh, Churchill, Manitoba for some polar bear action. And then I came back down again to the lower 48 and went to Idaho. Lived in a small, small town, Salmon, North Idaho. I, guess, I don't know if it's north. It's like northeast, I guess, Idaho. I uh, was working on a Wolverine research project with just a crew of mm. myself and Has one other. Has it been that long? That f- yeah, I've wow. never seen that. It feels like so long ago. It feels like forever. You hurt but- your foot. How's your foot? It's still not great. I, I tore a ligament in my ankle. Yeah, what happened? Uh, what happened? I crashed my snowmobile because I was having too much fun. Oh, so see, there's <laughs> consequences to too much fun, people. 
there are consequences to your actions. I've learned that uh, recently. And that was one of the most, uh, yeah, like, you know, learning experiences. I was having a blast. I was going out to one of our research sites, got a little bit excited because there was fresh snow. And I saw this really steep ledge and I was about to hit it. And my fellow crew member started yelling at me. He was like, don't do that. Don't do that. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And I just went up vertical. And then uh, my snowmobile just slowly rolled down the ledge. And I would have been okay. I thought I would have been fine. I've done things like that before. But when I was trying to bail and I was trying to jump off the snowmobile, my foot got caught. It got stuck up underneath the little snow guard for your shins and stuff. Mm. So the snowmobile continued to roll and it rolled over me and it just yanked my leg and my ankle. Gross. So it was basically like like rolling your ankle really bad. Um, yeah. it's It was awful. It was no fun. I definitely took a while to get back up on my feet at full capacity. It took until the end of Wolverine season. So I was doing field work. Um, in quite a bit of pain for the last the last four months of the season, and then in time for bear season, in time for me to go back up to Alaska for this last full summer, it started to feel better. I still roll it all the time. I have to be really careful about skipping. Are you um, a skipper? For most adults, Are isn't a big problem. I, have, yeah. I skip a lot. You have I skip like tendency. Be, yeah, I like to be yeah. efficient in my yeah. movements, and yeah. skipping is is one of those methods. Wow. <laughs> Uh, um, you could have just said that a Wolverine attacked you. I mean, it would give them a bad rap, but it'd be a cool story. It would be a really cool story. I thought about that. I was like, how can I really beef this up? Like maybe I was chasing a Wolverine on foot and I, I had to dive to catch it and rolled my ankle in the dive. But yeah. I'm, I'm not good at coming up with stories. I feel like well, things we appreciate your transparency. Funny enough. Yeah. Before we, so tell us more about the Wolverines. Give us the full yeah. scope. Yeah, that's cool. So this was something that I haven't really done before. I don't have a background in wildlife biology or research, but through a series of fortunate events, an individual who was hired onto this project to study wolverines in Idaho, which I'll give a little bit more context to in a moment, got into graduate school. So there was an open position. And because I have nothing to do really ever, um, and I knew somebody working on the project, they were like, hey, can you get up to Salmon, Idaho like right now? and do this project. And I was like, yeah, like I said, I got nothing to do. So I was able to kind of weasel my way onto this project studying wolverines, which is the largest member of the weasel family. The project is uh, a multi-year project sponsored by U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Recently, a petition was put together to request that wolverines be listed as endangered. U.S. Fish and Wildlife reviewed the petition. They were like, yeah, this checks out. Um, wolverine numbers aren't sounding like they're doing too good in the lower 48. We probably do need to list them as endangered. But there has never really been a robust population study done of wolverines in all of the lower 48, especially not recently. So U.S. Fish and Wildlife was like, in order for us to list them as endangered, though, we do need to know a rough estimate of how many there are. So each state that has good wolverine habitat has a different crew working for the state wildlife agency. So I was technically working with Idaho Fish and Game um, and the University of Idaho to go into these areas that are considered good habitat for wolverines. And we set up bait stations, never use bait for wildlife photography, but in wildlife research, I think it is a necessary um, thing that has to be done, especially when you're studying elusive animals like wolverines. And the well, you're also not there for the association with humans. Right, exactly. We're not present. So we set up the bait, we leave the research stations, have trail cams and hair snares set up at the station. 
So after days of the meat sitting out and scent lore is also utilized to draw the wolverines in from further distance, the hope is, is that if there's wolverines in the area, they will come and visit the site. We hang the meat, we hang dead elk up in trees, so the wolverines climb up the trees, pass up against, pass up against the hair snares, which are just these mm-hmm. gun-cleaning bristles nailed to a tree, and it snags their hair with the follicle. The hair follicles are assessed in a lab by the smart people, and the smart people <laughs> log the individual wolverine's DNA into a database so that we can count individual wolverines. Mm. The purpose of the trail cam is in case the wolverine doesn't climb up the tree and snare its hair. Wolverines are one of the few animals, I mean, not few, but one of the few members of the musclehead family that have really distinctive markings between individuals. So no two wolverines will have the same markings on their chest. Some will be jet black, uh, but for the most part, they'll have like a patch of white, in various different shapes. Some of them have full arms that are white. Some of them live little white socks. So that is another way that we identify individual wolverines is by reviewing the trail cam data from the sites as well. So I am, because I'm not the smart person in the experiment, I wasn't one of the people in the lab reviewing the DNA samples. I was the person with the backpack full of dead elk hiking a million miles. You're right where you wanted to be. Yeah. In snow <laughs> to hang the dead elk in the tree and set up the cameras and nail gun bristles into trees to bait Wolverine. Well, you're smiling, so I think you're in the right role. Yeah, it was great. It's it's really fun. I, I would not have traded that for the world. Um, it was an awesome experience. Did you, walk away, did you walk away with any personal photographs? No. You know, that was a something that I wanted to do, and I talked a little bit with somebody on the project about if that was feasible. One of the problems is with this project is it's still ongoing, so any photographs from the actual sites are considered data in the study and they belong to the study. So getting one of my, you know, high quality camera traps set up out there would be really labor intensive and the photos would probably never be able to be used outside of the actual study itself, which would for the most part only be seen by the people reviewing uh, whether or not Wolverines need to be listed as endangered. And I had a little bit of a conflict mentally. I know that we were setting up the sites for research and the photos would technically be uh, documenting the research happening but it just felt like a little bit self-interested to have my own camera out there. So ultimately, mm. I nixed that idea and didn't end up camera trapping for my own personal. Interesting. Even after all the you know voluntary work you did, you wouldn't feel yeah. okay with that? Yeah, it, it was a hard choice. There are camera trappers um, in Washington, I believe, in Oregon that have been camera trapping Wolverine bait stations that are part of the same project. Um, and I don't, I fully respect what they're doing, but just from my own standpoint, it just felt a little bit too complicated. Right. Yeah. Gave you the Makes weird sense. feeling. It's, yeah. You know, it's always yeah, good to if, stick to your own values, you know, Aaron, I'm sure yeah. you're going to weigh in here. Well, yeah. I just feel like when, when things are questionable, you have like that gut thing, it's better safe than sorry. Yeah. It's exactly. like, I'm just going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to focus on what I'm supposed to be doing here and, and focus on that. And another fear too was the flashes and things like that. I mean, it's a Wolverine. I doubt a Wolverine's going to give a shit. But if the flashes did deter a Wolverine from continuing to approach the mm-hmm. bait site, that could essentially, you know, make an individual Wolverine be missed in the overall count, and then that messes with the integrity of the data. So yeah. all of those little conflicts kind of just formed together as miniature needles in a haystack. That's the wrong huh? expression, but you know what I mean. No, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Uh, you know what Wolverines uh, hate the flashes? That one that wears the socks that you you referenced. The one with the little white socks. Oh, like, that one hates flashes. Mittens for Wolverines. Yeah, mittens. Doesn't it's like a the cute flash. name for something that can 
Don't they have the largest uh, pounds per square inch bite of any mammal? Is that true? I think so. I think it is of any, at least North American mammal. I don't know if honey badgers are contenders or, I don't know, lions or something. I almost said alligators, and then I remembered that they're not mammals. Um, this is Brooke Little Bear, wildlife <laughs> yeah. photographer and specialist. That's why Brooke references <laughs> other people as the smart ones. <laughs> Just kidding. No, she's very smart. We love shots of humility in these interviews. Perfect. <laughs> take take us to Alaska. Take us to Alaska. What's up? What All was right. different so, than years before? Yeah. So uh, Wolverine Project ended and I drove my RV up to Alaska. Uh, this summer, I did the full season in Alaska, which was challenging, man. I mean, bears mm-hmm. are not consistently active all summer in Alaska. So I was working as a bear guide based in Juneau. Alaska, so in Southeast. Are you working um, by yourself as a guide? or I was working for an outfitter, okay. and there were a few other bear guides within the company. And each day, we would fly on float planes out to these remote islands off the coast of Juneau and march on out to these areas where bears are used to seeing people and sit in place for you know six to eight hours and just wait for bears to come out, which is amazing. Um, greatest job on earth. You just get to sit quietly with a bunch of people um and hopefully see the animal that i'm the most obsessed about what got really challenging about it this summer and the reason why in summers past i've only been there in the months of august was end of summer is a salmon run in alaska so the first summer that i was up there guiding um, i centered my time in alaska around the salmon run because that's basically guaranteed bear activity every time you show up to our viewing areas because our viewing areas overlook salmon streams Salmon are a bear's number one source of food in this area, especially late in the summer. So if the fish are running, there will be bears. This summer, I didn't have anything to do. It's a reoccurring theme. So I just got up there earlier than usual. Um, Was up there through May. In May, the bear activity was pretty good because the bears are fresh out of hibernation. So they're meandering through meadows, eating a lot of grass, um, flowers, things like that to put on as much weight as they can at the start of the summer. It's also mating season. A lot of the mating behavior in that area happens high up in the Alpine, which we can't access, but enough of it happens down low to where we did have some pretty regular action through May into early June. But once mid-June hit and early July, the bears were essentially gone. They Mm. go back up into the high country to try to avoid the warmer temperatures. Food sources down low are pretty much depleted by then. They've eaten all the good root balls, all the good grasses, they start pursuing berries and things like that, which grow higher up or deeper in the forest where, again, we don't go looking for them. So it was it was wonderful when the bear activity was good and it was really challenging. You'd have days where you have you know, a handful of clients that came in from Texas. The pinnacle of their vacation is this bear viewing trip with me. We fly out to the island. We sit in silence for six hours and we don't see a single bear. Yeah. And you're just kind of sitting there naturalizing, pointing out all the signs of bears and all of the evidence that we are still sharing this pristine wilderness with them. You are still getting a really incredible experience because you're in one of the most remote, untouched wilderness areas left in the world, which is incredible. So people did still leave feeling fulfilled and happy with the experience overall. But it's, you know, you feel like a total letdown when the mm-hmm. star of the show never shows up. Do you wear that burden? Do you feel like you do, even though it's not your fault at all? Yeah, you know, you do. You know, it's not your fault. And my guests, I didn't have a single client this summer think that I had done anything wrong to not fulfill our goal of seeing bears. But it's hard knowing 
how much time and energy and money people invest in a trip like this to know that they're leaving without the experience they were hoping for. Right. I would be super disappointed if I was in their shoes. I would understand, but it would still be a bummer. So it's it's hard not to shoulder that. I definitely feel for those folks. It's a bit of disappointment, hopefully coupled with acceptance of that's how the wild works sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did have some folks say it, it added a level of appreciation almost right. because it really helped them understand just how elusive bears are and how special any interaction you get to have with one truly is because they're never guaranteed. They're not going to be where you want them to be just because you're very hopeful. They're truly the wildest of wild things. Right. Now, is, there a, you, is there a price? Oh, I'm sorry, Seth. Is there um is there a price scaling based on like in August we know you have a way better chance uh, in June and July it's it's a little bit rarer so it's a little bit less. Just curious. So is it all the operation kind of- that I was guiding for we didn't have a price scale. We would mm-hmm. contact guests and let them know beforehand. Hey, no one's seen a bear in the last three days, four days, five days, however long it's been. And give mm-hmm. the guests the option to cancel beforehand mm-hmm. if that deters them. And quite a few folks did take that option. They're like, ah, if you guys haven't been, soon, been seeing bears, I don't want to waste my yeah. time. Yeah. I'd say the vast majority, though, still would choose to go and try. I do know, though, it is there are other parts of Alaska, other areas where you can go view bears that do a pricing scale, where if you're going mm-hmm. outside of peak season, you definitely get, can get a discount because, again, your chances are much lower. It just depends gotcha. on who you go with. Yeah, I was just curious. Yeah. Now you say you're a very busy person, so I find it perplexing that you say, you know, it's a reoccurring theme that you don't have a lot to do. Uh, How do you deal with the, well, not deal, what do you do when boredom strikes? You know, do you feel like, are you one of those people who feels, I got to do something, I got to do something, or do events and certain scenarios sort of come to you or present themselves, or do you go actively looking to make those things happen, or both? That's a really awesome question. And I, I was just thinking about this recently. I, I had a revelation the other day that I think boredom is actually the most influential feeling in my life. I would say almost everything that I do and that I have comes from feeling bored, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So That's perfect. The reason why I say I had nothing to do, so I went and did X, Y, Z, is because the moment things slow down, and I start to get a little bit itchy and bear season comes to an end or the Wolverine project finishes or I finish up whatever project I was working on in any other location. And I get back to my place of rest and I spend a few days going through images, catching up on deliverables, uh, showering, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I start to get really antsy and I start to think, uh, what is the next crazy thing I can get myself into? Right. And then I just email everyone I can and call anyone I can and text everybody and DM everybody. I'm sure people listening are going to be like, Oh yeah, I remember that one time Brooke DM me and asked if I could work on my ranch or Brooke DM me and asked if I could go catch some shrimp with my shrimping boat off the coast. Um, And just try to see what options exist and take whatever option comes up and just dive right into the next thing. And so why? So I don't want this to sound cliche, but it comes from a place of, chasing things that force me to be in the moment. Mm. When you're working seasonally and you're working on a project that has an end date, something that you know is not going to last forever, something that you know might not actualize again after the season is complete, it really forces you to enjoy every second when you're on that job. So the Wolverine Project is an excellent example of this. I knew that the Wolverine Project wasn't going to run again this winter. Uh, It probably won't be running again next winter. If it does run again, it's probably not going to be the same locations, the same sites, the same crew. 
So every day that I was out there, I had in the back of my mind, this might be the last time I get to experience this. So let me really fully be there. Mm. Once I leave situations like that and I get back into civilization or what people call the real world, it's easy to stop being in the moment because all of a sudden there's quiet and you're doing something that you know is repetitive and you're living a day that looks like a day you've lived once before. So for me, it's harder to stay really present and really invested. And I start getting anxious about the future and I start asking questions about, am I making the right choices? Do I have any regrets? Am I setting myself up for success 20 years down the line? And then I get really stressed out. And then I Mm. look for the next opportunity that's going to help me stay present when I'm in that place or that scenario. I wish I was better at being in the moment when I am not on some grand adventure. That's definitely something that I'm working on right now with being back in New Jersey for the next month and a half is even though I was born and raised in this house and I spent the first 18 years of my life under this roof, still Mm. trying to live every day here. Like it is Mm -hmm. some exciting adventure because who knows the world could be devoured by the sun in six weeks from now. And maybe I will never get to be under this roof again. So hopefully the smart people tell us. Yeah. The smart people and the alligators. God for the smart (laughs) people and the alligators. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's is I mean it's very interesting and the 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 psyche of it and there's there's just this there's such a th- line of balance between like these go-getters and distractors and activity versus inactivity and boredom versus overkill like there's such a balance in life to I, I just the moderation I think of of living and and dealing with some of those anxieties. Some of those anxieties that you're having are probably very valid. And what makes us human, the ability to look into the future and say like uh, X, Y, and Z will help me to survive. But that creates uh, an anxiety, a um, sort of a panic. And then the ability for humans to also distract or anesthetize. Seth, you like that word? Yeah, word of the day. I've already done that one though. So. I know. But to to <laughs> numb or hide and uh, and again I'm not I'm not calling you out either way I'm just saying like it's an interesting sort of you know I know people that go to the gym very healthily and I know people that go to the gym and work out insane amounts and you wonder like what are you what are you hiding from what are you not facing by being obsessed with this thing. I don't know. So it's just like this, it's just interesting human element of like these bell curves of health versus too far or too little. And I'm not the judge. I don't know who is, but it's just this interesting balance that we all have to deal with. I do too. Yeah. My mom has been saying since I was a little kid, this is like a reoccurring theme with me since I was a child where I'll do something really fun. Like when we were little, my mom would take me to the zoo. And then after that, every day for the next month, I'm begging, can we go back to the zoo? And all I'm talking about is the zoo. And I'm finding out about more zoos from my classmates. And I'm I'm coming to my mom to tell her, we got to go to this one and that one now next. And so she would always say to me, Brooke, when is enough enough? When have Mm. you had enough? And that is a question that still rings in the back of my mind is like, when is enough enough? I don't Mm. know. But is enough enough? Is it ever going to be enough? And is that, and so... Is there anything wrong with that? Right. I, mean, I think when it becomes problematic is when happiness is sacrificed because enough isn't enough. I think continually chasing more is 
you know, continually chasing more experiences and more is good when it doesn't come at the sacrifice of happiness or when you're not forgetting all the things that are going well for you or all the things that you are grateful yeah. for. It's when you, it's when you want more, 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 and you're not ever satisfied with what you've had or experienced that you get into trouble is my personal opinion. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a good one because I, I think that's something. So this is definitely a common theme of people that I've worked with in positions like the Wolverine project and like bear guiding. You get a lot of people that are very similar mindseted to me where after one season ends, they dive into the next grand adventure and it's always just a grand string of things. And I've noticed that there are primarily two types of people that fall into these buckets. You get ones, which I think I consider myself, who are in the moment and where they are is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Um, I have every day I say this is the best day of my life and try to mean it because it is, you know, it's like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here right now. Even if it's a bad day, I'm here right now. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky mm-hmm. as hell for that. And like, that's the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. And I try to keep that in mind and not compare one destination with another. You know, it's not like I'm, in Idaho thinking to myself, oh, this is sick, but it's no Alaska. You know, I'm in Idaho and this is sick. I'm in New Jersey right now and this is sick. If fall just happened here and I'm seeing red leaves in the fall for the first time in ages because I've been out West for the fall the last decade where the leaves are yellow. So that's been wicked cool. And then you get the other types of people where every time they go on to the next grand adventure, you do see them caught in that cycle of you know, it's not as good as this other thing I experienced, or Mm -hmm. I'm down here in Juneau, but the forests and the mountains are way more impressive up in South Central, or the bears get way closer if you're in Katmai National Park, or there's always like, you can sense the dissatisfaction. And you can see that folks like that get propelled onwards by that perpetual dissatisfaction. So it's a good reminder to not go down that path, because I I don't Mm -hmm. think that that can ever really feel, feel all that fulfilling. Yeah, I think it can get tragic when the bar moves and stays at its highest it's ever been. Because then you're constantly chasing, I'm talking about a metaphorical bar, you're you're constantly chasing that high, literally. Mm -hmm. Whereas if your acceptance of just the fact that certain scenarios are different and not necessarily better or worse, then that bar moves with your expectations. Yeah, we're dig- we're digging into like addictive personality traits as a little well. bit, you know, where yeah. it's like the you get that high and you need to up it next time. You can't have an equal or lesser opportunity uh, or experience. It has to be um, now. Now I want to go paragliding around bears. Like I, I got to like do something crazier and up. And, and when's it end? Right? Like when's it end? Or or what's the what's the ultimate goal that you're really trying to find or search for it reminds me of like the the buddhist tenant like the uh like suffering is wanting you know wanting is suffering to to keep wanting so much more it can lead to suffering because you're like you're not happy with where you are you're wanting something new something better versus this sort of Again, I, like I look at like sports or or working out, someone that has a consistent workout team or routine is maybe using that as a healthy method of uh, health or being in shape, whatever uh, mental clarity, whatever it is doing for you. Uh, that's what it is. But if you're constantly like pushing yourself to these new heights, which again is okay, but there's this balance because you can go too far. 
you can then spend eight hours in the gym. And what are, what are you missing out on? Then, or what are you hiding from, or what are you not experiencing because you're doing this to a certain degree? So I guess it is. It's just that interesting again that balance of, um, you know, finding that sort of peace in where you are, and then tackling the experiences that you can and enjoying them. And a fact check: uh, New Jersey is not sick. It's it's not great. So, so Brooks, Brooks saying that, but. I we just had the fact check that. We did have the fact checkers. <laughs> I, I looked it up. Some really profound things just now, but I want you to know that I didn't hear any of them because prior to the profound things you said, you mentioned paragliding with bears. Yeah, <laughs> you blacked out, <laughs> which I'm and googling. I've never wanted anything more. So there's a business. <laughs> there's a business venture. Hopefully, there's some VCs yeah. listening. Yeah, some smart money. Yeah. Look down. Oh, a down angle, like a sick, like just straight yeah, 600 just, millimeter, straight down. Oh, yeah. you meant paragliding like above the bears. I was thinking I was like strapped with them? in the parasol with Oh, the they're in there. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, that's phase two that's of next. business. Yeah. yeah. Don't get that's ahead next of yourself. Year. We got to get our first some. round of seed funding and then yeah, we'll move we on to that. Some. When is enough enough? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, but based on what you said, you'd be happy, equally happy in both scenarios. It's interesting that you categorize sort of what we've just described into two people. Not not a criticism, just an, I'm just saying I'm interested in that, that there's people who are very good naturally at just being very happy with what is the now and then others who may be destined to constantly compare. Something I'm going to yeah. sit with. I. Here's something I've been sitting with myself and just, I often reflect on this thing where I've noticed many successful people, whether it's musicians, actors, companies, CEOs, whatever, they usually have some sort of thing. Like uh, they were raised by just their their mom or just their dad or their dad left or a brother died or some sort of thing that spurs them on to these incredible levels that most humans don't get to. And I always found that interesting. It's very rare. It's very rare that someone that's, a, a you know, let's just say a famous rock star had like a, a beautiful upbringing with, you know, two parents and wanted for nothing. And it just, life was easy. And I'm not saying that can't happen or doesn't happen. I don't know everyone's history, but it just seems often I hear these interviews and I'm like, oh, like there's a thing. There's like this thing that pushed them a little bit further. And maybe it was, I'm going to hide and play guitar for eight hours a day because I don't want to think about the fact that my dad left or whatever it is. And it creates this opportunity, but it is a distraction from hurt or trauma or whatever it is. And I've, and this is a reflection on myself. I've always like looked at like my my dive into passions, my dive into guitar, my dive into golf, my dive into uh, photography, like those sorts of things, and like going full in. Like, is it healthy or is it? It's not heroin so. or cocaine, but is so. it healthy? I, think I mean, does it make you happy? If it makes you happy, it's totally healthy. Exactly. If it makes think- you happy more often then it makes you unhappy, right? Because sometimes it's all going to make you unhappy. Like you're going to yeah. get frustrated with all of it. But if overall it's adding yeah. more to your life that's taken away, then hell yeah, that's great. For sure. I think we use For the sure. word that's distraction a, a lot. 
in this podcast because we talk about like, you know, distracting yourselves. And I think there's good distractions and bad distractions. It's mm-hmm. just like sometimes how the word consequence can be used positively and negatively, although most people think of the word consequence in a negative light. I think yeah. that goes for distraction as well. I mean, you know, running around Alaska in the present moment, whether you are or not distracting some- from something, let's say, Brooke, like that's still super fun, fulfilling, healthy, amazing contributes to a a cause that you're proud of yeah you know better than new jersey (laughs) and i I think you said it like it's i think it's a simple concept are you enjoying what you're doing and is it fulfilling Mm -hmm. and is it making you happy if so then keep keep hammering it away i think aaron what you really mentioned is when you just you take it too far where you know messing up a note on a guitar riff for example is a source of pain for you because it just has to be perfect and Brooke we were talking about this before we clicked record we're yeah. going to segue into this right now uh, Aaron knows this but I'll say it again for listeners every year I have a theme that I want to I kind of reflect on my year and I pick something that I personally want to be better at and so I usually start thinking around December it's come a bit early to me this year but for me 2023 is going to be about being an imperfectionist being very good at being an imperfectionist because so many times I find my, I think, I think we have the, naturally as people, we have the tendency where our strengths are also our cruxes, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So for me, a little bit of self-assessment here, like I am very dedicated to every detail being bang on before anything goes out, which is, you know, good in the sense of my name is attached to hopefully well-received work. Um, but it can also be bad because it slows down my output and a lot of tasks may go unfinished. So I'm consciously working on being good at not being perfect. And I've found myself purposely and having to fight through leaving inaccuracies or blemishes Metaphorically speaking, I don't like dust spots on photos, but blemishes in us. Aaron always catches them sometimes when I send him a photo, he says dust spot, top right. And I go, fuck. But, um, you know, metaphorical blemishes as an exercise in getting better at that. Yeah, I, dude, I, I love that. Um, I'm on the far other end of the spectrum where I've had to focus a lot of efforts into becoming more of a perfectionist because by nature, I'm a very easygoing, very laid back human being um, to, to sometimes an outrageous extent. That meme of the dog in the room on fire. He's like, this is yes, fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Is We're me. fine. I've always <laughs> been that. And I, so as a result, you know, when I'm doing things, when I'm doing a task, my mindset is, ah, whatever, you know, I'm getting it done at least. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I definitely had a track record kind of prior to starting wildlife photography as a career endeavor, but in my, my, previous life where I was working in corporate world, I definitely had a track record of getting the job done at the bare minimum and getting things sent in by the deadline they were required. And then oftentimes having to correct mistakes after or explain Mm. why my process was imperfect. And it started to make me feel like a total piece of shit. Um, So Mm. I started to tighten up on that quite a bit and photography helped me a lot, but I definitely have found because I, after a while, especially with wildlife photography and starting to take a lot of pride in my wildlife photography work, I started to swing towards that perfectionist end of the spectrum for a little bit. And all of a sudden I wasn't getting things done. Right. Mm. Um, Things never felt finished. I didn't feel a lot of 
pride in my work, but from a different end now where I didn't feel pride in my work previously because there was nothing to be proud of. I wasn't putting in enough effort. And then once I swung too far the other direction, I wasn't feeling pride in my work because I was never feeling satisfied with what I was putting out. I always thought I needed to do better, make it better, um, more. Mm -hmm. And I've had to adjust back to now where I'm somewhere a little bit in the middle. And I think it's really served me. Um, I think as long as your work is meeting expectations consistently and every now and again, you exceed expectations. And I'm not necessarily talking about your own personal mental expectations. I'm talking about the expectations of whoever your clients or partners or, you know, whatever deliverables you're submitting to whom talking about their expectations. Um, As long as you're meeting them and occasionally exceeding them, and you're getting things done, I think that's oftentimes good enough. Mm. I think there's also a danger too, where if you're consistently perfectionizing yourself. <laughs> Someone get <laughs> us a check on that one. <laughs> I majored in English literature and creative writing. Oxford, call um, him up. Oxford yeah, Dictionary. Sure. Perfectionizing. I, I tried Is to make it? a resume the other day and I tried to put on my resume that I, I majored in English literature and creative writing. And I sent the resume to my friend, Riley, Riley Jensen. She's an amazing wildlife photographer and she proofread it for me. And she just sent it back with the caption this- was Brooke, please. And she just highlighted where I spelled <laughs> literature as literature. Yeah. Is this your friend Riley J? Yeah. Yeah. What's oh, her cool. handle? Shout her out. Riley Jensen photos. Oh, Riley, what's your Insta? Riley J photo. Riley underscore J J A Y underscore photo. Amazing photographer and bear guy. Good stuff. And wildlife researcher. Yeah, she's the best. And resume proofreader. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Back to the topic, though. Are you done, Brooke? I'm sorry. I think so. I I I felt a pause, so I jumped in. I am I'm not gonna be humble on this one. I'm a I'm a perfect imperfectionist. I would agree with that, knowing you. I'm perfect. I you weren't looking for I, it, but I will agree with you. No, it's you don't have to because I know it. <laughs> I know it. That's how confident I am. Uh I've I have an amazing ability. Again, I'm being serious, but I have an amazing ability to recognize the situation and go. This deserves perfect. This does not deserve perfect. Like I got to get this done. Like, I got to get it done, and it doesn't have to be perfect. That's For example, though. well, like, well, the now mental you're categorizing, fight, you're categorizing what deserves perfect and what doesn't deserve perfect. What deserves maximum effort? What deserves maximum yeah, effort? Think, what deserves something? We can talk quick. about like pay scale. Like if someone's paying you a really good sum of money to get work done, interesting. It deserves a little bit more perfection than the person who's just yeah. giving you a free bag of socks. Or like a you know dumb or something, and there is a there is a selfishness to like what what am I potentially getting out of this? Even like what what could this lead to? Even if they're not paying me anything, if it's free and I want something in the future, I'm gonna do a bang up job. But I just played a gig, and the the guy that owns the place was I was like I have my camera. Do you mind if I take some shots? Now that was for me to like metal with uh, concert photography, just see what it's like in the dark and the lights and, and have fun with it. And he's like, I'd love to have some of those shots. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll make a folder. Cause I knew I was going to practice editing, edit, editing. I can't ever say that word ever. I'm not good at that saying editing, editing, editing. That's so hard. Editing. 
Everyone say Edit. editing. Three, editing. two, one. The editing. Editing. The edits. <laughs> editing. Edit, edited. 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 That's fun. I'm going to have the to edit tense. this. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I knew I was going to edit them for myself, but quickly. I wasn't going to. I have lots of steps. You know, I can go into Photoshop. I can go into Topaz. Uh, you know, to to denoise it. Like I know all the steps that I could take, and it adds time. I knew how I had to get this done and what I was going to do for myself, and make sure I could do it, and then send them a few photos. Uh, there's other examples where you're like, I I want to impress the the most that I possibly can, and there's ones where you're doing favors for friends, and you're like, yeah, I'll take a couple photos of your toddler, and I'll send right. them over, like no problem. But I'm not going to spend the full Monty on the edit for like a free photo for a, a friend. No right. offense, anyone out there that has done that too. You have but, no friends now. Yeah. Like, oh, we, the want the the, the we want the full. We want the full podcast are out of here. <laughs> Four star, three star. <laughs> Two star. <laughs> oh, yeah, please rate and review the show if you find these messages of value. Please rate and review. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I do think it is a, a skill to be able to discern when to go full in versus mm-hmm. uh, no one's going to mind if this is a B plus job. Don't let good get in the way of, no, don't let perfect get in the way of good enough. That's the saying. Right. I knew there was a saying, yeah. and I was thinking it was like, I was trying to think of it, and what I came to in my <laughs> brain is, don't let doing the thing good not do the thing, and I knew that that didn't make any sense in words, <laughs> only in my brain. So I'm glad that you yeah. were the smart person. The smart I, uh, person on that one. I actually created a desktop background on my laptop for myself in Canva. Mm-hmm. Not affiliated, but I love Canva. Everyone Canva's should get great. and use it. Yes. Because um, I like to have you know, written words in front of me as reminders where I, you know, I open my laptop every day, I see it. But so my background says paralysis by analysis kills, be sure to execute today with execute and bold. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because I can sit there analyzing, you know, I'm sure we've all caught ourselves in an important email. I'm not saying don't proofread, proofread but like you read it 30 times and it's like, fuck Seth, send, click send, click mm-hmm. send. It's good. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm a big voucher for having things that you're working on or trying to get better at written down in front of you as a daily reminder. Because even just glancing at my screen, my brain processes it. It's almost yeah. subliminal in a way. And here's a good question, another psychological question. Uh, I think we see the world through our own lens a lot. And I know that a typo here or there from someone, or if I'm getting the message, I'm not, I'm not crucifying them. I'm like, uh, it's a mistake. I, yeah. I get what they're saying. So I maybe have that same sort of leniency with myself of like, I'm, I'm going to get this out. I'm going to do the best that I can, uh, but I'm not going to kill myself to make sure my commas, my Oxford commas are all in the right exact spot. Uh, and I had two spaces between every period. That's not the point to me of language. Like where I'm trying to communicate an idea and I'm I'm not going to, you know, toast someone for saying, uh, you know, the people that are like, uh, you're like, how are you? And they're like, I'm good. And they're like, you're well. Like, shut <laughs> up. I have never met one of those people. But you and I are really? in this. No, you and I are a little bit different in the sense I'm not going to crucify people, as you put it, over, you know. Um, but you notice. I notice and it bugs me and it distracts from the message. And that's just my personality. Like, not necessarily on commas, but if there's like a couple typos, to me, maybe this is like to a fault. Again, my brain goes to, did you proofread this? Like, did you? It goes to, did you care enough about what you're trying to tell me that 
that you prove proofread it or not. Cause like I almost in a weird sense, it's like, it tells me in a way, like, did you fully care? And I think sometimes I care too much about things. I yeah. think that goes into the fact that you're a perfectionist and this is what I'm saying. or on the non scale. So one thing that I, I think helped me in that regard. Well, a quick, a quick little thing. So I know, not side note, it is related. I was thinking before this podcast started about how I did my first ever podcast um, for a different wildlife-based podcast at the start of COVID. It was the first time I'd ever done something like this. And I remember- what was the I, show? It was Wild and Exposed. Okay. First cool. podcast okay. I'd ever been on. And nice. I, I like sequestered myself in a corner and I made sure I tested my tech like 300 times, changed my outfit a million times, adjusted the lighting, did a sound check- made sure that my roommate was out of the house for the next two hours, told my neighbors that they couldn't make any noise, moved my desk away from the wall that shared the hallway because I didn't want any background noise. And then now, you know, however many years later, when I do a podcast, I'm just like, oh, whatever, here we go. Like, I'm, I'm going to show up. And yeah, that's the song for my we've just, those guys. Yeah, we've here, just I'll experienced all that. <laughs> yeah, here's a biscuit. <laughs> Coughing up a dry biscuit. <laughs> Uh, 17 microphones and and volume adjustments. Uh, uh, three hours later, we've started. Yeah, yeah. it was our fault, though. Anyways, um, uh, I haven't finished my biscuit. Thought I might eat it again. In the <laughs> but, uh, a biscuit. So because <laughs> at the end, I think uh, showing up as your best version of yourself and not some nitpicky person, you know, it gets it gets easier with more experience. But something right. else, another thing, another little example of all this is we're we're talking a lot about like email structure, you know, like punctuation and syntax and things. And I definitely, when I craft an email, a good example, really recently, about three weeks ago, I reached out to an individual who kind of holds the key to an opportunity that I'm really keen on for next summer. It involves bears and a high level of adventure that I haven't really experienced before. And I reached out to this person and I, similar to what you said you've done, Seth, I read the email like 60 times. I read it out loud. I, I had a friend read through it too, make sure everything was perfect, sent it off. Few days go by, I get a response from this individual, and he is, a, I mean, an incredible human. His, his accolades and what he does, and his level of professionalism within the industry that he is a part of is, I mean, second to none. He's a truly incredible person. His email was no punctuation. Um, the right. letter I, lowercase. He's oh, referencing phone. people that I've never heard of. I mean, it sounded like he was voice to texting me from a different planet, and. I got the message across just fine and we continued the conversation and the dialogue, but it just made me think, you know, if it doesn't matter necessarily. Did it, did it change your impression or no? No, actually it, it made me feel a lot more relaxed. A lot, a lot more relaxed. To me, it built a lot of rapport. I was like, if this guy is not proofreading and he's not using proper sentence structure and he's not capitalizing the letter, letter I, why am I stressing about my syntax? Just have the conversation and focus on what's important, which is making sure that this opportunity comes to fruition. Mm. Don't overthink and waste energy on anything else. Right. It was actually yeah. like really freeing. And I mean, that's happened to me a bajillion times with all different brands and companies. I mm-hmm. think so hard about how I'm approaching the situation only to be met with somebody who's so lackadaisical that it does ultimately for me, relax me a lot. Make me think like, oh, okay, right. take a load there's off. An, there's an interesting, like, it's just human behavior. It's so fascinating where you, you, this is an opportunity I really want. I'm going to craft this perfect thing. It's going to be wordy. It's going to be long. And all humans are human where we're, we're doing a million things, especially people up that have companies and are, you know, 
running bear retreats or whatever they're doing, they're doing a million things and they want to read and get the message and respond and, and see who it is. And it, it, to me, it's kind of like, you know, in the dating world, we've all been there where you have this super crush on someone and you turn into this like perfect person. Like I, I'm going to be so thoughtful and I'm going to, you know, surprise them and think about, I'm going to pay attention to everything. And sometimes it's a little bit of a turnoff because it's like, that's not, that's not the real. And well, sometimes you can't maintain it. You, you start you out. You can't maintain it. Right. It happens. And all of a sudden you can't buy this person flowers three times a week or watch their favorite movie every time they mention exactly. it. Just so you have to talk about. Like it, it can't necessarily hold forever. Yeah, and so I think they're uh, yeah balance, cute balance. That's the word of the day. Yeah. Um, but there, there is that sort of balance of being able to eloquently and confidently get your word out and, and be like, "This is this is what I want to say. I'm confident about it. You like it or you don't, and let's move on." Very you know? good. I'm not going to convince you by writing seven paragraphs in yeah. perfect prose uh, if you are not interested at all. So you're not going to be like. This is the best. Everyone come here. Read this email. This is the like a, on a leather chair with a fireplace. I will. Everyone like, they're going to the print it out. Email to the photographer mindset at gmail.com and I'll frame it behind me for an episode <laughs> for the best punctuated email because we've officially lost any potential with Grammarly.com to sponsor this. I think that's safe <laughs> to say it's out the window. Or um, actually we built a lot. Maybe they, yeah. Or we maybe, built one. Yeah. yeah. We need maybe. it. Yeah. I have a new topic. Oh, I have go a ahead. topic. Is it actual or are you setting up a punchline? No, I'm I'm looking for something though. Um, okay. All right. I'm going to play something and then we're going to get into something. Uh, this might embarrass Brooke a little bit, but. You got to turn your Bluetooth up. I know. All right. Well, here we go. Um, a name that I would bring up is um, Aaron Nantis. He's somebody I definitely recommend checking out. He has a really cool editing style where he definitely puts a lot of the mood into his, his photo edits. And like through that style, he tells really cool stories with the animals that he's photographing. And you can just see his love of these animals in the way that he edits them to like make them look as good as they possibly can. Yeah. Really cool. Um, okay. Did so you have your fingers crossed? She no, I didn't. Oh, as funny good. as this is, uh, it's just, I, I do want to bring this up because I think it's so important um, how we how we present to people and and the little things that we might say to someone in passing. And Brooke and Brett, the BRs, in the beginning of my photography career, this is June 20th of 2020, all right, that she says this. We've probably met for maybe a month, and she's on this panel for Olympus at the time, uh, and they ask, who who is she who do you look up for in terms of photography? And of all the people in the world, she said a couple of other names, but I don't remember them because I was like, my jaw was on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she she me. Hamilton. I remember that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she mentions me and it's, it's those moments though, I think that are so important and maybe, maybe a little thing for her. And like in that moment to be like, Hey, th- this person's kind of cool, uh, in, in terms of their style, but for someone that's starting up to have someone of the stature of like Brooke at the time, uh, like say something like that, it, it really can change or keep the trajectory that you're, you're going on. And I especially remember like Brett in the beginning, going out of his way to be like, you need to keep, you should have a million followers, just like over the top. One but million. Just, you know, 
and he was the first to be like, you got to keep doing this. Like keep trying, keep doing it, blah, blah, blah. And then, and Brooke having those conversations and her being on the mantis mood and like that sort of, I don't know, that sort of encouragement that you can give people. So when people are like DMing you or, or reaching out and asking for advice, if you take the 30 seconds or minute to give a genuine answer and, and pick out something you like about their work versus like, um, they have less followers than me. Like, I'm not going to answer like that sort of attitude doesn't get anyone anywhere. And I'll, Although that is just a very funny moment, and uh, I have a whole video of it, I'll post it. I'll give it to you, Seth. You can put it on TBM. But I turn, I turn the camera to my face, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the uh, the, the ever long crush was implanted. I called Seth, I think, and I was like, like Anchorman. I was like Ron Burgundy. I'm like, and we're gonna get married on the top of a mountain and start a family band. Did you do that? <laughs> no, but it, it was that meaningful. It was it really was that meaningful, and I think it's just an important point. And I, as soon as I heard she was coming on the show again, I was like, I have to find this clip of when she said that because that was the beginning. I was just reflecting on like this is three years into photography for me, and like how important that beginning was. And without some of those things, or maybe even the opposite, someone saying like you suck or like wait, you're wasting your time. The photography business is dead. Whatever that the trajectory could change in a different way. So I just think it's important to show up um, for people when you can. And I want to, I want to bring that up and say, thank you, Brooke. I love that. And I have a moment like that, that I remember of my own that kind of happened for me in a really similar context around the same time in my photography journey. I was on my first ever photo assignment Mm -hmm. um, in Churchill, Manitoba, photographing polar bears. I felt like such an imposter to be honest, I was an imposter at the time because I was like brand new to this and had somehow weaseled my way into a world where I was getting sent to go photograph polar bears for a camera company. And I met Dave Sanford. You guys mm-hmm. all know Dave Sanford. We love him. Love him. Met him for the first time in Churchill on the side of the road. And we're just bantering. We're waiting for uh, – a wolverine had been spotted in the area, and we were waiting to see if the wolverine was going to come back out. and never did, and we're just talking. And he has no idea who I am. And at the end of the conversation, he's like, ah, by the way, are you on Instagram? Like, you know, let's, let's exchange so we can keep in touch while you're here in Churchill. And so I give him my handle and he like enters it in and he looks away and he's like, starts walking away. And then he looks back at his phone. And he's like, whoa, wait. And he starts scrolling. He's like, these photos are really good. And I knew who Dave Sanford was. You know, I felt like I was hearing it in his voice too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You can, you can picture it, right? Exactly mm-hmm. how you do it. And, uh, I mean, that, that was it. Like I had so much confidence on that trip after that. And for the rest of my life still, um, I think about that almost every time I get sad. It was like one of those first moments that really energized yeah. me and made me feel like, all right, I'm, I'm being seen. I'm feels good. And I love knowing, you know, that I'm capable of giving other folks that same exact feeling because it's so important. Oh my right. God. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, it, yeah. Again, changing, like it, it got it going. I've dabbled in many things in my life. Like, uh, watercolor painting you know that lasted three months but no one was there to be like you're so good like you should keep doing this it just was like "Ah, i don't know it's not for me maybe but those are the moments that maybe keep it going and and i could look now at three years later and be like wow like so much so much shit has happened and it could have gone a thousand different ways and that's definitely a pinnacle moment so it is that important to i think Mm -hmm. pay it forward and if you're in a place of um 
I don't want to call it power, but like in a place of influence, uh, prestige, yeah, yeah, influence, where you can say to someone like, "Hey, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. Like, don't get don't get down on the numbers of Instagram or don't like that positive sort of like, hey, if you keep pushing, if you keep working for it, you can find it." Seth, do you have one? Do you have a moment where? No, but I do have to take a minute to. Uh, I got to mention Dave Sanford. He just spent. Uh, messaged me. He said he spent over two years refurbishing his online site with prints and making his his uh, interface more user-friendly. Uh, so I want, I'm just inviting people to check it out. Um, this will come out on November 18th. So I think uh, he's like doing a promo run for his new overhaul of his mm-hmm. website. If you want to check out what a kick-ass site looks like, see some awesome prints. Um, I'll put a link in the episode description. The episode description. So check that out. Yeah, um, for sure. Nothing but good things to say about Dave. Do I have a moment like that, though? Um, this is going to sound really corny, but every single one of these episodes does that for me. I mean, like, Aaron, before you were on the show and I was doing this solo, like, not to keep talking about Dave, but for example, when Dave came on, mm-hmm. I was n- like, and for a lot of like the the bigger guests, and, and I say bigger in the sense of their skill level and their audience size combination of that. Like I would be nervous. A, just because I didn't have experience as much experience as a podcast host too. But at the same time, I'm like, holy fuck, like I'm talking to Dave Sanford wilds, right? Or yeah. I'm talking to Warren Keelan or I'm talking to Brooke little bear or I'm talking to, and you get to a place where you realize that Aaron Mantis. Yeah. <laughs> you get by to, it. Put who? that in. Who? <laughs> you get to a point where you realize Everybody is just a human. People. I mean, it sounds really corny, but it's so true. I've never really been one to fanboy, but you still can easily get intimidated by influential people. You know, if Peter McKinnon mm-hmm. comes on this, it's like, you're going to tell me I'm not going to be nervous for that. But at the same time, he's also just a guy. He's right? probably just as nervous or has some level of nerve well, at least going on any podcast. Perhaps, perhaps, especially when you have that level of influence. Am I going to say the wrong thing? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it becomes a different level of a different type of nervousness. I imagine mm-hmm. when you get to like Brooke, do you have that ex- that feeling ever where your audience is a, is of a size that you're really second guessing or critiquing what you say or put out or what you take on or don't take on or how you respond or does that do those thoughts ever cross your mind as you continue to grow yeah the larger your audience gets the more you feel like you're under a microscope and you have to think about everything you say and everyone you associate with and everything that those folks say as well so there's always that underlying nervousness associated with that it never goes away how has that changed as your audience has you know doubled since the last time we talked has it Uh, I don't know that it's changed in terms of what people's expectations of me are. I think it's always kind of remained the same, but I think it's changed in that there's just more people watching, more people listening. I've been in a place of um, influence for a longer time now. So I have more of my thoughts and ideologies documented as the years go on. And there's more people, you know, being like, well, a year ago in an article, you said that you would never do this thing. And now it appears maybe you're mm-hmm. doing that thing. What changed? So just always keeping, being aware of what I've said, what I've done, who I've presented myself to be, who I've promised people I will be, mm-hmm. and making sure that I stay true to that as best I can. And if I divert from that, making sure that there's context behind right. why I'm making those decisions. 
I was just going to say the permanency of the internet can be very dangerous, especially to creators. Mm-hmm. We're all people. We have ideas that change and mold and and are different as time progresses. And I think it's, you know, so I sometimes worry, is something I said two years ago going to be totally hypocritical of the way I think and behave and my, my ideology now? And that's okay. It shouldn't stop you from creating or or changing. I mean, you don't want to draw a box around yourself. And I think, and, t- and time changes too. Like, right. let's say in five years, it's illegal to be drinking out of a plastic bottle, right? And there, there, a picture surfaces where you have two plastic bottles in your hands at a concert or something, right. and you know, oh, wildlife photographer Seth Macy's uh, having, you know, it's like things change where you also have to adjust to the times. And that happens with like cancel culture all the time and what words are allowed or not allowed or, or things like that too. So it's, it's a tricky race. And the context of things changes a lot. So Mm -hmm. one that's been really prevalent for me that I've had to be really fixated on and aware of is two years ago, I was very vocal about uh, don't track grizzly bears. Don't track them. Don't follow their footprints into the woods. If you are in Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, uh, any state that has grizzly bear populations and you see a set of grizzly bear tracks and you want to track the bear because you love tracking wildlife, always backtrack, never forward track, never pursue a bear on foot. Now I am guiding in Alaska where my whole job essentially mm. revolves around tracking and pursuing right. brown bears on foot. The context is entirely different. I still mm-hmm. stand by my words of two years ago that if you're in those states with inland grizzlies, because of the temperament and the re- reaction distance of those bears, you still shouldn't be comfortable being on foot around one intentionally. Whereas in Alaska, you're dealing with coastal brown bears that have a much shorter reaction distance. They're a lot more tolerant, especially the ones that we're working around. They're habituated to humans. You can safely coexist with them on foot. But, you know, for some of my followers that are very astute and listen to the things that I say and mm-hmm. use me as an example, they took note this past summer of what happened to the girl who said never be around grizzly bears on foot. What are you doing? You're out there on foot around grizzlies day in and day out. You hypocrite. Explain. So little things like that, understanding and making sure that you're defining the context as things evolve and change so that you're not sending conflicting messages or looking like you've completely sold out or gone back on your morals or, you know, telling people you shouldn't do this thing, but somehow I'm qualified to behave differently because of who I am. Do you think as an influential person and because of who you are in the wildlife photography community, do you think you're obligated to explain yourself or do you think you shouldn't have to? Um, I go back and forth. It depends on my mood. Um, mm. When I have a lot of energy, I think that not necessarily <laughs> obligated to explain myself, but I like to and think it's helpful and can make a positive impact on people who right. are following when I'm tired or busy or just have a lot of other things that I'm focusing my energy on, I'm like, screw it. Nobody deserves any explanation from me. If they care that much, they can go out of their way to reach out directly and do the footwork to figure out what's going on. But yeah, I mean, that that fully depends. I mm-hmm. cannot say wholeheartedly in either direction. I think an interesting thing as well is as you continue to grow, especially your online audience size, the bigger you get, it seems that people think that you're almost more unreachable so that you can kind of be more lenient with maybe negative or cruel things that you have Mm. to say about people. It's very easy to forget that there is a human on the other end of the line that does read things that you're posting. And I just think that's something to keep in mind if, you know, before you send something nasty in a comment, people do read these and they do have an effect. Yeah. 
Now, I don't know if you personally deal with that, but I mean, I'm sure large creators deal with that on the regular. And it circles back to my point that we're all people. Like we all have mm-hmm. feelings. We all, I'm not saying don't call people out if there's bullshit to call out, but like some people can get downright mean. Yeah. yeah. It's, I've actually retaliated, not retaliated, but responded to some folks in heated discussions. And I, I you know, I do appreciate when people reach out in a, somewhat confrontational manner if they don't understand why I'm doing things. Um, an example is when I was working on the Wolverine project without any context, I posted a video with the caption saying baiting the Wolverines and hung up a piece of meat. And all of a sudden my DMs are like, why are you baiting Wolverines? You're right. mm-hmm. the queen of saying don't bait. And some people really came at me with a very intense tone that made me want to go hide in the closet and call my mom and cry. But I was like, I have to you know, address this and and clear the air and explain as best I can. So I explain on my story, but I also like to, you know, directly make contact with these individuals. And when some people got really combative, one of the little lines that I slide in there is like, I mean, you know, if if we were having this conversation face to face, would you talk to me the way that you are right now? Like in order to have a productive discussion over Instagram right now, let's pretend that we're talking face to face. And I've suggested to people when conversations get a little bit heated in DMs, about anything uh, that we do voice memos back and forth because it can mitigate some of that. Yeah. When people are behind that screen, they can be absolutely vicious. And then it's almost just impossible to converse about anything in any disconnect, right? There's a disconnect because your visual person visually responding to you is an led screen or I don't know if it's led, but it's a screen. It's, it's not a person. And so your brain is so easily able to switch off. And I'm a big advocator for the uh, the voice memos, especially when you're sending a text to someone where it's questionable of how the tone is going to be received. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're dealing with maybe some serious stuff. Um, you know, even <laughs> I sent a voice memo sometimes when I'm like, I sent a voice memo when I was asking for payment mm-hmm. from someone just because someone who's already defensive will read a text or DM in the tone that they want to, or in the tone of how they're currently feeling. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big advocator for the, for the either, I mean, a uh, big advocator for the voice memos, not voice to text. That's where it types it out, right? Yeah. It's worse. Um, yeah. And it saves so much time. Mm-hmm. I mean, do, do yeah. you want to spend 10 minutes going back and forth or do you just want to oh. record it and be done? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's really well said. The part about, they're going to read it in whatever tone of how they're already feeling. Yeah. You don't know how people are doing that day. Right. Right. So tell we all know there's, there's, there's a neutrality in a message when you send it. It's almost, it's, it's a raw, it's a raw. It can be edited yeah. by the receiver mm-hmm. any way they want. That's the That's best funny. way to put it. Um, let me ask you about how your uh, relationship with OM systems previously known as Olympus has progressed since the last time we talked to you. You're smiling because I got it right. Um, <laughs> some people probably still say Olympus and they're going, it's actually OM Systems now. So you better. I'm proud of one. you for getting it right because I'm sorry, OM Systems. They already know I struggle so hard. I, it's, it's Olympus. You know, it's the same as like yeah. your childhood best friend, like my big brother. To me, he's Eddie, but mm. to the world, he's Edward. It's, it's right. Yeah. You know, that's always where the relationship started. Um, OM system came into my life when they were Olympus, when I was really new in the photography world. So I kind of like grew up into the industry alongside them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the relationship hasn't 
changed very dramatically in the context of the uh, the, the changes within the brand from Olympus to OM System. Right. If anything, it's gotten almost a little bit more exciting because now that OM System is free of the larger parent company of Olympus, they're free to really take the company in the direction that they want to go, which is mm. heavily focused on being a camera company that appeals to people who are frequently in the outdoors. And because much- the gear is like so light and durable and things right. like that, it's perfect for outdoor industry. And as an outdoor photographer, I feel like now more than ever, they are so well aligned with what the heck I'm doing. Right. That's the one of the first points everyone who vouches for home systems makes is the lightweight running gun aid. Uh, what's so just for context for people who don't know, maybe this is the first time they're hearing you on this podcast. What are your sort of deliverables for them? What's your obligations or duties with them? How does that partnership work? Yeah. So I am formally known as an Olympus Explorer. My new title now is an OM System Global Ambassador. That basically means that my job with OM System is to use the heck out of the gear in all different contexts with all different subjects and really vouch for how it works for me. Um, Truly a brand ambassador, but I like to think that maybe I'm a little bit more authentic when it comes to ambassadorizing. How's that word? For Aaron, check it. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's good. It works. At least you didn't say ambassadorizing. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, (gasps) that would have been really funnier. But uh, (laughs) I feel more authentic ambassadorizing for our system than other brands because of how well uh, the, the cameras and everything work for me. But yeah, I mean, it's one of the sweetest gigs on earth. I just get to use gear that I really love and I'm super stoked mm-hmm. on and talk about it and be told that I'm doing a good job by doing that. I, yeah, that's like wonderful. The coolest thing on planet earth. I'm really fortunate. Very cool. Yeah, for the cool. record, it's ambassadoring. Ambassadoring. Whoa. Yeah. An authorized representative or messenger. An unofficial representative traveling abroad as ambassadors of goodwill. Hmm. Well, there you go. Interesting. We've all learned something today. So much. So much. (laughs) A few things. How did, what spurred you on to um, ditch your beat up Subaru that had been through so much and get your RV, which you named Cloud? Is that correct? Yeah. All right. This is a great question. Yeah. Let's get into this. I used to live in this little orange Subaru because. Uh, Your subtenants were raccoons at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Boxes. 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 Okay, got it. They were not very kind to your upholstery, if I recall. They were horrific. My (laughs) Subaru got broken into by foxes. They peed everywhere, and they chewed up my center console and my gear shifter, and the smell never went away. It was, I think, a solid four (laughs) years of fox piss in there. To the point where my Subaru actually got stolen for a while, while I was living in it. They gave it back. They were like, this was a mistake. And they gave it back full of air fresheners, Yeah, <laughs> which was mortifying. They also, uh, my bumper, I, I bang, I crash into things a lot. It's an ongoing theme in my life. I keep on crashing into stuff. And the Subaru bumper from crashing into stuff was hanging off of the car. And the people who stole it fixed it. They zip tied it back together. So wow. it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, no, the criminals are taking better care of my stuff than I am. That's it was a follower. <laughs> they just had enough of your yeah. car getting beat up. Yeah. and they helped Let's me. borrow this for they a minute. They helped you. Yeah, <laughs> so, we'll give it back. 
so what happened, the reason why I needed to upgrade from the Subaru, I was very happy in that situation. It was, it was more than I needed. It was a car with great gas mileage that I could comfortably live inside of with the Thule box on top. I could have just about everything I needed um, to live in the vehicle with me. But then I got a dog. I got my dog, Bruce. And Bruce has really long legs. He's not a very big dog weight-wise. He's like 55 pounds. But he's got super long legs, so he's really tall. And when he's in the Subaru... And he has to shake off, you know, like dogs do, like they shake, shake, shake. His big, giant, floppy ears. He's got these ears like elephant ears. They're the silliest things on planet Earth. Super big, super floppy. They'd flop and they'd hit the roof of the car. And it broke my heart because we were living in that thing full time for a while. And that was, you know, day and night. If Bruce had to shake off, if we're not outside, he's banging his ears. And it just crushed me. So... (laughs) You know, we can understand uh, things getting torn yeah. apart in the wild. Hawk picks up a mouse or a vole, shreds it to pieces. But Bruce's ears, that's where the line is drawn. Yeah. I, I cannot, I, you know, <laughs> I cannot be, the, be, be the, the, the accomplice to Bruce feeling any pain. Yeah. Um, this sounds like a pampered dog. He's so pampered, except <laughs> for when he's not. But I just love that guy. He's so freaking cute. So I, I needed to get him a bigger vehicle. So I was looking at vans and sprinter vans, things like that, conversion vans. And the problem with all that is that I am poor and <laughs> I'm living in Subaru. <laughs> and those vans cost a lot of money. Yeah. And I did not have that. So one day I'm just browsing Craigslist and I see this 1993 USA Europa listed for a reasonable amount of dollars because it's ancient. And I drive down to Denver and I on the spot buy it like two hours after the post was listed. I purchased it cash, didn't even get to test drive it. I was just like, this thing is within my price range. It is a full camper. It's um, 24 feet, 23 feet. So it's got a bathroom. It's got a stove. It's got a ton of storage, closets, uh, a bed, like a real bed, not like a camping mattress pad and a sleeping bag. It's got a full bed. And a couch that is also a pullout couch, so Bruce could have a little space <laughs> in um, for the dog. And so I needed it, so I bought it on the spot, and it was amazing. I mean, right off the bat, I knew this was the best purchase I ever made. I drove it up into the mountains, got about, I don't know, 25 minutes up by 70 from Denver, and all of a sudden there's black smoke shooting out of the exhaust pipe, and the steering wheel's shaking, and it's screaming, like the engine's going, like, ah! <laughs> I didn't know what to do. So I just turned up my music so I couldn't hear the screaming and That's pulled the down the back shades so I couldn't see the smoke blasting out the back. Just kept and on just going. Crashing. And yeah. about 11 hours later, because I drove to Utah or something or Idaho, I forget where I was going, the smoke was now clear and the screaming had stopped. And I've never had another issue with her since. I've driven that thing up to Alaska and then all the way back down wow. and then all the way to New Jersey. And soon I'll be driving it all the way back up. And so the the problem for a while there, though, was I now had this big camper and a Subaru. And it was just me and Bruce. And since Bruce's dog, he could not drive the Subaru. Right. So that I would, checks out. I would, <laughs> he's too young to have his license. Yeah. Too young. Uh, I would, uh, he's only two and a half. I would drive the camper to a location and then have to have someone drive the Subaru there or drive me back so I could bring the Subaru there. So I get up to Sam in Idaho for my Wolverine research project. I'm living in the RV through the winter. I lived, I've lived there full time since I bought it. And one day I have my Subaru and Sam and my buddy helped me drive it there. And I'm driving to go photograph eagles. And while I'm driving down the road in my Subaru, this woman who was on a lot of drugs ran a red light and T-boned my Subaru and totaled it. 
And it was the best thing that ever happened. Yeah. Because everyone's okay. (laughs) Because nobody, nobody was ever going to buy that Subaru. Yeah. Maybe she stole your car. Maybe. But it got totaled. Came back to finish the job. the monies. I got the insurance monies. And now the Subaru's gone. And I got the money as if someone had bought it, but it's in car heaven. And so nobody's driving around getting migraines from Fox P because of me. (sighs) Wow. So it it was the most beautiful, wonderful thing. And here's the crazy part. The Subaru's insurance payout was the exact same dollar amount as I spent on Cloud, my camper. So it's like my Subaru (laughs) bought me my camper. You're even Steven. Maybe your Subaru spirit. Oh, I guess this wouldn't check out because you had the black smoke before. I was going to say you had an exorcism happening with the yeah. black smoke in the wheel, maybe from the previous owner. And it was just like, yeah. <laughs> and like then it was Green just, Mile. <sighs> like the Green Mile sucked in all the just evil. It. Yes. Yes. Maybe it was right. State Farm Spirit or whoever your insurance person yeah. is just like having a, a warp in time or something. I bet you're right. Yeah. That, that, that Subaru, in terms of car lives, Oh, Subaru's life was like that had a tough it had a tough go. Dude, this episode a- sponsored by Subaru. Subaru. I I drove it off a cliff. Fox's pee in it. <laughs> Fox pee for anyone that doesn't know is it's rancid. A- it's it's bad. It is it strong. It smells like skunk and fish and yeah, there, that's the one. It's it's horrific. It's truly one of the few <laughs> smells in the animal kingdom that makes me recoil. Oh, recoil. That <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, that's bad. Well, now we know the story of Cloud because I had no idea. Yeah, and, and just a note on her name. So Cloud came with the name. Uh, the gal who owned her before me purchased her from the original owner who lived in Minneapolis, St. Cloud. So mm. she named mm. it Cloud. So, you know, this being a 30-year-old vehicle, I thought it would be cruel to change her name. So she's still Cloud. Always and forever. Awesome. Wow. That's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. I'm laughing because the story was already crazy. And then you go, and the crazy part is. <laughs> yeah. It was no I like, how she, I like how she says she's poor. And j- just to confirm that, uh, her mom opened the door like she's a feral cat and throws in a cheese biscuit. And is like, that's dinner. That's dinner. And slam the door. I was like, God, you have not been in society in a long time. It's I'm like, so hungry. she's throwing in biscuits. <laughs> it's like a plate with a Rubbermaid glove. Yeah. 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 yeah on, on tongs. <laughs> like through yeah, the, tongs. through the, yeah. Some antibiotics crushed up. Yeah. Inside. <laughs> yeah. Your flea and tick is in here, Brooke. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, that's perfect. Aaron, Brooke, do you have anything else you want to talk about? So much, but so much. We can't, I mean, it's been a minute. Um, did we miss anything important? How, let's say, yeah, a couple of things. Um, is your calendar still available for purchase? Yeah, I got a few more calendars left. If you want to buy one, do it now. Okay, this comes out Friday, November 18th. Hopefully, they're still around. They should be. Check out littlebearwildlife.com. Okay, link in the episode description. What are you selling them for? How much? Uh, $39 plus taxes and shipping. So I think it comes out to like $43.50 total. Nice. Also, here's a good exciting one, and this applies to you guys too. Okay. Uh, end of the summer in September, me and Drew Hamilton are teaming up. Uh, his guide company in Churchill, Manitoba is going to be taking me and whoever wants to come with me 
out on a polar bear viewing expedition to photograph polar bears on the autumn tundra. It's going to be very unique polar bear season, you know, peak season when most photographers go up to Churchill, typically aligns with the time of year where there's snow on the ground. So most polar bear images that you see are of bears in white snow, or they're taken at the start of polar bear season where maybe there's less snow, but there's no autumn foliage. So it's bears against stark, dark gray and black drip backdrops. This is going to be polar bears in golden autumn fall color tundra, wow. which we don't wow. see a lot of imagery of. So I'm beyond excited. And when is this again? This is end of September. You look up the exact dates. How long can people sign up until? They can sign up until it is booked. And I don't know how quickly this is all going to sell out. As of right now, I've got nine spots total. A few of those are spoken for. Um, I will not be increasing the group size because keeping this small is essential to, you know, maximizing Mm -hmm. opportunities with Mm -hmm. bears. The date range is September 17th to the 24th. Everything is included, including food, all meals, lodging, polar bear guide service, flights from Winnipeg to Churchill. The only thing you need to purchase separate is flights to Winnipeg. It's going to be the coolest thing ever. I am is so there excited. A link for this? Can we put that in there as well? Yeah, I do have a link for it. I will send it to you guys so you can awesome. get it in there. So we got in this episode description, we got links to your calendar. We got links to this expedition you're talking about. And we're asking people to check out Dave Sanford's website uh, on the day this comes out, Friday, November 18th. Because we love and if Dave. You check out Dave Sanford's website and you see a bunch of pictures of polar bears. Those are from Churchill. So Perfect. Okay. Perfect liaison. Right on. Very good awesome. stuff. Brooke, thanks for coming on again. Thanks As for always, having you're me. welcome anytime. Yeah. Great. Anytime, but not every time. You can't just be <laughs> a third co-host. He's <laughs> a lot of co-hosts. Might Three's as well at this point. Might as well at this point. <laughs> All right, everyone. Till next time. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.